Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the New European Podcast. My name is Richard Porry and I'm joined by a very special guest, a uh, New European Podcast debutant, Mr. Ben Krask, historian and writer. Ben, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. How are you doing? Uh, I'm okay. You're standing in. Steve is uh, on holiday. I don't think he's gone anywhere special because that's uh, a little bit difficult to do in, in this day and age. But um, you, you're a good friend of ours and Steve's and I've got plenty of opinions. So we thought we'd have you on for your debut. Thank you very much for agreeing to come along and uh, be part of this wonderful rambling podcast. <laughs> it's great to be here. Um, now we've got we've got plenty to get through. We've also got another very special guest, which um, Ben. I, I don't mean to be rude, but the listeners are going to be far more excited about the next guest um, because <laughs> a, a little bit later on, after we've done the news with you, we're going to be talking to that's right, listener Jerry Scott. Now, those of you who've, who've listened to this podcast um, for for a longer period will remember that Jerry was uh, was very much a fixture for the. I don't know, first sort of a uh, couple of years of this podcast's now, we're now three, we missed our birthday, it was only, it was last month, um, so Jerry hasn't been around for about a year, and I know uh, through reading social media that you're desperate to hear her um, her Norfolk tones once more, so we're going to get her on the blower a little bit later, so we'll do the news first, and what I always, always say, Ben, at the top of the podcast is, if you come to us, and us only for your news, listener, which I know you have done in uh, in peace times, I, I really would implore you to to check in to the new European website or indeed uh, to the daily briefings because things continue to change apace um, and it's really better that you don't wait until a Friday morning or the weekend to find whether you can leave the house or not. Uh, so please do check in with that. This is not going to be a Brexiteer of the Week this week. I'm really sorry, but I've also got an actual real job and haven't had time to put one together. And like I say, we've given Steve the week off. Uh, but don't worry, we'll be talking about um, all the usual gubbins um, uh, with yourself, now, I thought we'd start with PMQs. Um, we do like to talk about PMQs, but this seemed to be a rather important one to me because it was it was the first one um, that that, uh, that that Kia's had with Boris since the Dominic Cummings fallout. How did you think it went? Oh, it was tense. It was a really, really quite a um, intense moment, and I think uh, you could you could see that Boris was um, struggling in his own way to kind of fend off the questions from Keir. Um, and uh, I think that at times he looked pretty flustered and wasn't handling it very well, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I, there was there was numerous occasions where he was sort of shaking his head and there was lots of muttering going on. In fact, it was even mentioned by uh, by Starmer at one point that the the, uh, the Prime Minister was, 
was sort of uh, uh, was was muttering, um, and I think uh, there was also some talk. I don't know if you saw it on uh, on social media as to whether Boris had an earpiece in. Did you see that? <laughs> I did see that. I did see that. Um, it's, it's a bit of a surreal notion, isn't it? I think. Um, I think if we if they were to start wearing earpieces like that, I think it would feel like some kind of. Uh, it almost feel like cheating for me. I <laughs> well, it's definitely cheating. I what I would say is, I think it's highly unlikely that Boris had an earpiece in. Mm. Uh, it would, <laughs> from the pictures that I saw on Twitter, it did look like he had an earpiece in to me. But if he did have an earpiece in, then who was in his ear? Because he certainly didn't seem to be helping him much, did they? No, not at all. And I, I, I think I've, I've then got this kind of Black Mirror-esque image in my head of this team of minions uh, somewhere in a bunker that are fact-finding and desperately searching through policies and laws. And then it just becomes a competition between hive minds, wouldn't it? I mean, yeah. I can't. I, and as you say, he didn't exactly, if he did have one in, no matter how well it was hidden or not, I mean... He he wasn't helped very much. By I think it, he definitely. He de I, I think he definitely didn't. Or oh, it would be a great moment. It would be a bit like you're only very young. I forget how young you are, but you, but <laughs> you, you won't remember a band called Millie Vanilli. You were found out. They had this huge hit, um, and they had it across. You know, in in America and here, I think they had number ones in the UK and the US. And then they came on to do some live performance and the, the tape broke and they weren't really singing and then it all came out that actually they weren't even really singing on the recordings. They were just these handsome chaps who were good dancers. Um, <laughs> it was a big scandal. I mean, I can just imagine there being a moment in PMQs where suddenly there's this almighty feedback and Boris sort of reaches for his ear and sort of falls over and there's this dreadful white noise. <laughs> <laughs> or um, anonymous hack it and then start filling in with nonsense. I mean, that would be even better. <laughs> Boris starts talking, starts talking a nonsense sort of malfunctioning uh, yeah. across the dispatch box well i mean he was malfunctioning and i thought that um i think he does a perfectly good job of malfunctioning by himself in pmqs recently i think 100%. i mean kia um for those of you who listen you will know that I'm a, I'm a fan of kia starmer and i think he's been brilliant in pmqs so far this wasn't his best one by any means and we'll get to my opinion on why that was but um but he's clearly got Boris rattled, and it was a after after he dealt with or not dealt with um, the Labour leader. Uh, I think Jeremy Hunt posed a question, and and um, and you know Hunt is no great fan of Boris either. In fact, there were even uh, some rumours flying around Westminster during the weekend when uh, Dominic Cummings was revealing how he tested his eyes um, that that Jeremy was on the phone, sort of gauging MPs' opinion which is always a kind of sets alarm bells ringing that there's about to be a leadership contest now. I think that would have been premature, but interesting that, that, that Jeremy Hunt is uh, still out there and, and clearly he's not just going to be a quiet voice on the backbenches, but he did throw him up a bit of a gimme and um, and Boris sort of went, well, well, that was a good forensic detailed question, the sort that we, we should have had from the opposition leader. Now, that word forensic is really key here because it's a word we've used and a word a lot of uh, commentators have used about Keir Starmer being this sort of forensic lawyer who will really dig down on the detail and that is where Boris struggles. So clearly that is in in his head. Do you think he's dreading these uh, these these weekly battles with Keir Starmer now, whereas before with, with Jeremy Corbyn he could sort of bluster through it and almost poke fun at him? Oh, 100%. I think Keir is much more surgical and incisive with his questioning. And he's also, he's been almost dignified in, in the way that he handles the, the, the reposts that come back from Johnson. Whereas, whereas Boris kind of makes himself appear um, 
even more blustery and flustered in his responses. I think um, that the kind of the way that Keir handles it has been pretty fantastic, not just the questioning itself. Um, I I agree. I think we saw a moment of real anger, actually, from Boris. And it it stands out even more when you've got an almost empty chamber, of course, than it would if it was the normal normal bear pit he sort of bashed his fist didn't he on the on the uh on the dispatch well, yeah, he box almost, he, he, he leapt out of his chair and almost like went looked like he wanted to lunge across the, yeah uh, I'm, the sure, aisle. I'm sure he did but it was it was a moment of uh of of, of, of drama actually and um, mm. and that was a question about the r rate and the alert level which we obviously there's there's you know the, the i think I think it was last uh, Thursday, so it would have been after we recorded the last pod when when Boris spoke, and I got the feeling that that um, that, that Boris Johnson was being um, was maybe wearing rose tinted glasses about where we are, and the medical experts were were sort of toning it down a bit and saying, you know, the R rate is still very high, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and there is this tension now between the medical experts, who maybe I think would prefer us being a little bit more cautious coming out of lockdown. Than the government, who obviously have not just got to think about um, the medical implications, but also the implications on the economy. So I do um, have some sympathy towards that, but obviously public health needs to be the first and foremost in in the government's mind. Um, but that was interesting that he w- he was he was definitely rattled by that. And um, you know, Kia's first point was this bizarre. Uh, a statement that was made from number 10 saying that Boris Johnson is now going to take direct control of the coronavirus response. Now, I think that's a shock to everyone because apart from when he was ill, of course, um, and we can absolutely forgive him for that, I I kind of expected that the Prime Minister was in direct control, didn't you? (laughs) Well, yes, you would hope so. Um, But as the the various um, escapades with PPE and with track and trace and with all of the different endeavours that they've been trying desperately to work on. Um, they're, they're, obviously, there are thousands, and uh, I think Boris at one point was trying to get Keir to focus on the um, the tens of thousands of people that are coming together to pull this pull this through. But it does feel like he, because he was out of the limelight at the beginning, and because he then had to sort of come back as a not very well man. Let's be honest. Um, that maybe there has been some doubt and maybe there's an insecurity there amongst the top brass that uh, there is a perception that he isn't in control of this and perhaps they're trying to speak to that. Yes, I think that's a, I think that's a, a, a fair point. And um, the other thing, and it was an odd, I think it was an odd performance by Boris. You know, he said he doesn't understand why Keir Starmer is constantly attacking the government on public confidence but actually, public confidence is really, really vital at this moment because the government is asking us, the people, to trust their judgment. And of course, they do that at all times. But in in this instance, they're, they're at, uh, the government is asking us to trust them almost with our with our health. You know, they're saying yeah. it is safe to go back to work if you're able to and you can't work from home. It is safe to go to certain shops. It is safe to queue for 14 hours for a Big Mac. And um, <laughs> something I haven't done. Um, but uh, So it, it is important. And I think it, it, Kia mentioned, uh, I believe, the Reuters Institute saying that the public confidence has, has never fallen so quickly um, in you know in in history in the government and and again we talked about this in the past few weeks on this podcast um, as to why that has been and it, it you know a lot of that from very goodwill at the start and you often get 
a spike in goodwill and a spike in the pools for the government during times of crisis because, frankly, the public have got to put their um, belief and support in someone and who who else is there. Um, but I think the chipping away of the public confidence is, is, is really important um, and something that the government has really got to get a, a, a hold on. Um, because well, that's, the, that's, one, that's on. one of the things that I, th- I sorry, I thought that when when Boris seemed most flustered and got most angry and animated was when um, he was being called out on the data and the figures and the numbers. Now, for me, I don't, I don't know if I'm extrapolating here, but it seems to me that with the Reuters figures coming in and the trust nosediving and the faith in, the, in what the government is doing being um, at such a low point, I think the fact that that they've been reiterating throughout, look, we've got the science behind us, we've got the data behind us, we've got the science behind us. And that's been a consistent thing that they've tried to reiterate. The, any any threat to that, I mean, that's one of the last legs that they're standing on. And I think that the the, the, the way that um, we saw Boris um, almost petulantly re- retaliate against any, any questioning of the data um, and what was going on? I think that is because they 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 are really low on legitimacy at the moment, and that's that 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 to me is I think that's part of the reason why they're so um, keen to try and bolster their own presentation of how they're keeping the medical evidence and the scientific data in mind. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, we, we'll I think we've pre- we've pretty much reviewed PMQs there. But w- one last thing, and this is a bit of a um, Criticism of Keir Starmer, in my opinion, no mention of Dominic Cummings. Do you think that was a, an open goal missed, or do you think it was, um, or do you think Keir feels that maybe he's questioning is is, is above tacky, uh, attacking aids and um, and that kind of thing, and he wanted to actually do be, be seen to be tackling the, the sort of bigger issues. I, I think it was a missed opportunity. I think when when he was bringing up the point about there being a loss of clear messaging and uh, sort of t- talking about that loss of trust, which then has been backed up by the Reuters data, that was the opportunity to put another nail in Cummings's coffin, perhaps. And I, I, to 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 leave that as a missed opportunity, I think, yeah, it was a bit short-sighted, really. Yeah, I, th- I mean, he clearly made the decision on purpose. I don't think it was a slip, but I, I but mm. I, I think I would have. That would have been. I agree with you. It would have been a perfect opportunity. You know, one of the reasons why people don't trust you anymore is that you you seem to make the rules and then and then break them. Exactly, um, it's hypocrisy. It's, it's hypocrisy, and that is not a popular sentiment. Let, um, let, let's yeah. park PMQs then, and um, yeah. because because the other thing that was certainly swirling around, I was you know chatting to people, and has been a topic in certain sort of Westminster. WhatsApp groups um, uh, uh, that, that I've seen is 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 Boris actually f- fit physically yet? Because I think he looked a bit better actually at the sort of middle and back end of this week. Um, but there have been rumours that he's still not a very well man, which would be completely understandable. You know, he had a he had without wanting to to play it up too much, a, you know, a brush with death. Um, and and it, I think any anyone in a normal job would probably still be putting their feet up and trying to recuperate. You add to that the very real um, strain of having a new baby in the house, um, and it kind of is understandable. Do you think it would be would have been better if he'd have taken a bit longer or if he'd have said, you know, listen, this illness really does take a long time to recover from. I'm not fully recovered yet, and that's why, although I am still 
on board and still working, there are you going to see more of, say, Dominic Raab or whatever, whoever it might be? I mean, is that something you think the public would have sympathised with? Or the very American view of this is, you know, the the sort of presidential superhuman thing and, and you, you want your leader to seem strong and be able to sort of shrug these things off and, and be able to get back to the job as soon as possible? Well, I, he's, he definitely doesn't seem to be firing on all cylinders at the moment. I, I, I agree with you there. And as much as he has, in, he has seemed to improve. Um, but I, I, I think that your point about if it had been a bit more transparent about how hard this is, um, yes, there's that strongman image in America with the, the presidential kind of um, unwavering energy and presence. But I think at such a such a strange moment in history. I think actually there was an opportunity there, as you say, to garner support and a bit of sympathy. And if he'd have humanized this experience, I think he would have, I don't think the trust would have dwindled so much. I think if he was actually sort of saying, look, I need to bolster my team here. um, I need, like, I actually think that that would have gone a long way to helping his own cause. Um, But in a way he's made a rod for his own back now because he's committed to the whole, well, I'm just going to carry on as if I'm going to take direct control of this myself. I'm going to be in that position. Um, Because I think a lot of people would have been able to relate to that as the people that have had to self-isolate and had to go through these difficult circumstances where they're arranging for groceries to be delivered. I mean, if he'd have added to that as a sort of a honest reflection and a reflective moment, um, yeah, I think he, he, he could have used that as an opportunity. Yeah, I, I mean, it would, that is a difficult decision to have made, um, and it would have been very novel. I don't think it would have it's happened before. I mean, we've seen prime ministers have terrible strain behind the scenes, some of which we know about and some of which um, are not in the public domain and, and carried on as normal. And I just wonder if at this particular moment it could have been an opportunity for our prime ministers maybe to to try and be a bit more human. And I do think there would have been public sympathy about it. I think the flip side would have been that the likes of me and you perhaps would have gone, well, if he's not up to it, then we need someone else to do it. And I think that's the fear, isn't it? That would have been the fear in yeah. in number 10. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know what's right and wrong there, but it's an interesting interesting talking point. Yeah. And, and it seems like there is a little bit of, um, in the fallout, and we continue to get this fallout still now um, from the from the coming saga, a little bit of uh, tension in Westminster. We saw at the weekend some talk about maybe um, Dominic Raab wanting to wanting to get a bit fighty with Dominic Cummings. <laughs> I mean, if that has happened, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall for that moment because it would have just been <laughs> phenomenal. But um, yes, it, it seems that even uh, at the very top of the tree, there is tension, or if that the Sunday Times reporters to be believed. Yeah. I mean, it has been denied that, but it did get me thinking um, if we were to have a sort of battle royale of uh, of the cabinet, maybe it could be like the FA Cup, you know, we could match them up and see who would win. I don't fancy Dominic Cummings. I think, he, I think he'd be, I think he might get past round one if he got a good draw. Um, yeah, because I think he'd be a biter. Yeah. He'd be a, he'd pull. He'd he'd bite. He'd probably let his nails grow. Yeah. He'd he'd pull hair. He'd be that kind of competitor. Um, but I think some of the bigger beasts might might be able to might be able to you know keep keep him at arm's length and and, and sort of knock him out. 
Um, yeah. Who do you fancy? Who do you fancy at the top of the tree? Who do you, who do you think would oh. win this? And we're by no means encouraging violence, of course. No, 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 of course not. We don't want any sort of Hunger Games scenarios to arise. <laughs> but I mean, um, I have. Well, oh, wow. Ben I tell you what, you'd wa- you'd watch that though, wouldn't you? Channel oh, on Channel Five, Cabinet definitely. Hunger Games. <laughs> I would definitely watch that. That would be great. Oh dear, I th- I think my money would. I'm torn between Ben Wallace, uh, Secretary of State for Defence. Um, what with his military background, I feel he would have the the, the, the tools at his disposal. He'd have the training, uh, perhaps. Yeah, he would. Yeah, so I think he'd actually approach it with a fairly uh, thoughtful approach, as opposed to Cummings, perhaps. But then also, I mean, Simon Hart, uh, Secretary of State for Wales. I mean, he looks pretty scrappy. He looks like a gritty bloke. I mean, yeah. I reckon, I reckon he'd hold his own as well. But I'm gonna. Have to, my money would be on Ben Wallace. Well, I mean, we're led to believe, of course, that Dominic Raab is the hard man. We we know that he, I think, either put his hip out or broke his hip or something horrific like that. Just simply doing martial arts. His kick is so yeah. ferocious that he actually his own leg breaks off um, in a fight. And I imagine he just carried on proper hard man. We're not entirely sure if he's human here. It has been. Um, on the New European podcast, it has been suggested before that he might be some kind of cyborg um, yeah. sent from the future, a sort of T ten thousand. He's going to be. He'll be. Do, you know, he'll be doing some press yeah. conference, and you'll get a little flicker of red behind the eyes, perhaps. Oh <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah. yeah. And of course, the other thing that's upset MPs this week is this: um, the the fact that they've all had to go back to work um, and. Mm. Um, the, the view from government is that they need to be seen. You know, we're asking people to go back to work. We need to be seen to doing the right thing. Um, I don't have a great deal of sympathy with that, but what I certainly don't have any sympathy with is, is this inability to vote by proxy because that has been something that's been ridiculous in Westminster for many yeah. years. Um, the yeah. pairing, um, the the pairing rules whereby, if, for example, if you are on maternity leave, um, you've got to be, you, you've got to come to Westminster to vote. We saw the very strange sight of Chloe Smith, for example, um, with a newborn baby having to go through the lobby with the baby. I mean, it was it was an inter- interesting moment, that, but one which really a new mother shouldn't be forced down to London, I don't think, um, no. with a newborn baby. Um, but then the, the pairing, how it's worked in the past is that you do pairing, so if you're a Labour MP and you can't be in Westminster, then you will pair with a Tory MP, and then you know the, the vote they wouldn't vote, and the votes aren't lost. But that all came clattering down, of course. Um, when would it have been? 18 months ago, perhaps, when Brandon Lewis, who I think was party chairman at the time, accidentally um, voted when he was paired with a with a proxy, you know, with someone who, who couldn't vote. Mm. Um, and it, it seemed like this was the absolute perfect opportunity to right that wrong and allow people to vote without actually yeah. having to be in Westminster. Yeah. Um, and, of course, I do think that is something that's going to happen. What do you think? Is, are our MPs actually setting the right example by having to queue for God knows how long to get into Westminster and these bizarre scenes we've had? Certainly there have been rebels, and a lot of Tories aren't happy about this. Do you think it sets the right um, example or, or completely the wrong example? I think demonstrating care and willingness to to follow regulations and safety guidelines is a that should be a given no matter what the scenario, whether they're queuing up to go into the Houses of Parliament or whether they're queuing up to go to McDonald's. Like I think that 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 should still be there in place anyway. But I do I do agree. I think that the this was a prime opportunity to to 
modernise uh, the vote by proxy approach. Um, but I think this is a moment where Rhys Mogg is just misjudging the sentiment here. I mean, even Tory MPs are objecting to the fact that they can't um, involve themselves in the democratic process. And I think that will unavoidably filter down to their constituents who are going to be frustrated that the people that they voted into power are um, essentially being ostracised and um, I'd say discriminated against because they're due to their age or their health conditions or yeah. their familial situations they cannot contribute and I I think it's a, a, a pretty um, glaring mistake of yeah, it just seems again, like another a, another example of the Tories shooting themselves in the foot. Um, now, two weeks ago, we saw a U-turn on the um, on the on the payments that foreign staff uh, or immigrant staff in the in the NHS have to pay, which was welcomed. I don't mind a government mm-hmm. that U-turns if they're listening to the country, um, but but I, you know, so maybe this, you know, maybe there is I think there is certainly rumblings, you know, and Boris sort of alluded to it, didn't he, in PMQs? So I wouldn't be hugely surprised if they sort this one out, but it clearly has got a lot of people um, upset. Um, yeah. Now we'll, 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 we'll touch on Brexit because obviously this is a Brexit podcast. We've, we're, we're, I think we've sort of widened it out over the years to a, a broader political podcast. But um, it was worrying news coming out of Sunderland. Now um, spent a little bit of time in Sunderland in my in my youth. One of my friends went to uni up there, and and they're very reliant in that part of the country on the on the motor industry and 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 definitely Nissan. And I think Nissan has been one of those bellwether companies for. For, for Brexit and um, uh, you know the rec- recently the news seems to have been good but this week we've heard that if there is a no deal Brexit which seems to be looming quite frankly that could spell the end and a heck of a lot of jobs lost I mean that's p- pretty pretty scary news for that part of the country Ben it is inc- yes definitely in a, in, a, in a part of the world where is it 7,000 jobs are at risk I believe that um, it would be disastrous uh, for that part of the world for sure um and again this is, is a part of the country that um you know the uh, j- jobs are not in in, in it's certainly well-paid jobs are not in ready supply um and the, the motoring industry is, has made a huge difference to that part of the of the world and if they were to be lost because of because of posturing and and belligerence on the part of the the uk negotiators then that would be um well, a disgrace, frankly, in, in in my opinion. Do you agree? I agree, definitely, and, and, and especially in a part of the world where there's there's there are suggestions that with a no deal Brexit, that that part of the world, the, the Midlands and the northern part of the country, would be hit particularly hard. Um, you would think, with the the sort of the recent Tory gains in that part of the world, that they would be wanting to cement their positive sentiment in that part of the world. Now, if 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 large employers like Nissan are going to be pulling the plug, I mean, it's it's not going to help their cause, is it? So, I think that, as you say, in a in the context of jobs being competed for, and um, I in, in especially in that part of the world, yeah, I think it's it, it's a, it's a huge potential problem for them. Yeah, absolutely. Now we can't, of course, um, ignore the the incredible and and dreadful and saddening um week that that the u.s has had um mm-hmm. and i know ben you you lived in the states didn't you whereabouts whereabouts were you in the states and how long were you there um i i was in california and new mexico almost six years um yeah so i i i 
saw my fair share of American culture out there and um, spent my time teaching whilst I did my MA and then I ended up working for the Department of Cultural Affairs. So, yeah, I've uh, had so my So had you're my very, well, very well versed in, in America and all things American. And I think, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I love America. I love, um, I, you know, I've been... Um, I, I, I was thinking about when my sort of love affair with America began, and do you know what? It was it was before you were born, Ben. It would have been in in the eighties when my um, the, my 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 mum and dad's um, view of parenting was to stick on Knight Rider or the A Team or Fall Guy um, or or Street Hawk. Yeah. Or um, what was it? Or Airwolf, which were these sort of American, mad American sort of <laughs> cop and private detective shows. Um, and I just fell in love with the with how big yeah. the place was and how bright it was and how brash it was. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. also follow a lot of American sports. So, so it's it, you know it's been saddening to see um, a country whose politics have often um, sort of baffled and befuddled me, but it's been. It does seem that we've been moving towards this moment since since Trump arrived in the White House. Really, um, I mean, obviously, I think it, it it does go without saying. Although we probably should say that the, the scenes that we saw that sparked all these riots are absolutely disgraceful, and yeah. you know the the police officer in involved um, in what frankly was a murder. Um, hopefully, we'll we'll go through the judicial system and get his uh, just desserts. But what about the reaction of the of the people in? I think it's over a hundred cities now in America. What are your thoughts on on that? Well, you have to keep in mind that 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 horrific act that was captured on video it was a public execution. As far as I'm concerned, it wasn't just murder; it was a public execution that was drawn out. It was incredibly demeaning as a as a spectacle, and what we're now seeing as a retaliation to that is um, people and communities suffering trauma. This is a massive, massive grassroots reaction to not only just the trauma of George Floyd's murder, but trauma that happens on a daily basis. The 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 police brutality incidents shootings of uh, unarmed people happen regularly in America. This is just uh, an outpouring uh, because I think that, as, as has been touched on, yes, these, these demonstrations are largely peaceful. Yes, there are components of it that are violent, but this is because that is, that's the only mechanism that's available to them, peaceful protest and um trying to, to, to vote vote change through or um just just not working. And so I think that what we're what we're seeing is this major historical moment where um the the, the dam has burst and I, I think that's what we're seeing. Do you know what I mean? Um, absolutely, absolutely I agree completely. And you know, I'm very well aware that this is two white men, middle class white men yeah, in in, cool. in England um discussing an issue which um you know, it isn't some. You know, we don't have to worry um, no. it, it, when we leave our house that we're going to be. You know, I mean, obviously, policing in this country is very different to to in the states. But um, I, I hope it brings home um, to to people in America that are a bit like us, who maybe who maybe can enact change easier than um, your your average uh, black man or woman. That this is 
unacceptable. And this, and the thing is, this isn't the first time we saw this only a few years ago. I mean, I remember the LA riots in the early 90s, mm. you know, again, yeah. on, the, on the Rodney King. You know, this is historical. It's going on and on and on and on. And... Um, you know, I don't, I don't like to see violence in any way, shape, or form. But I agree with you that you know the people are frustrated, and oh, there's always going to be people who will jump on a bandwagon and just want to smash stuff. You know, there's those humans exist in this country just as much as any others. But the message behind all this is so powerful and so strong. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, I, th- I thought actually that Keir Starmer, of course, mentioned it in his opening remarks. Um, but do you think that, that, that Boris Johnson should have gone a bit further? He, he agreed with Keir, but should he be calling out Donald Trump? Or is that n- would that not be a pragmatic thing to do when we're on supposedly on the brink of a you know a new trade deal with the US? I mean, ha- has Boris got to keep that in mind? Um, I think that uh, there there should have been more focus on the fact that I think that, that Boris kept turning the conversation towards the. Um, the protests and that he believed in lawful protests and that he um, he he didn't seem to he he lamented the, the 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 tragedy of the death but he did not he was unwilling to focus on the fact that it that it was police actions it was police brutality that led to this and I I think that that um, is a disservice to the gravity of the situation so I I, I do think. He should have spoken more directly to that. But also, for me personally, more than that, I think we need to use this as an opportunity where um, we, we, we look to our own country and our own um, circumstances in our society because this is a this is an instance where um, a lot of people, the awareness of the American civil rights movement, uh, big names like Martin Luther King, uh, Malcolm X are well known about. But I mean... The, the the experience in our own country it's, it doesn't feature in our curriculum nor do the travesties of our colonial legacy so I just think that it's it maybe maybe calling out Donald Trump directly would have been as much as I, I I feel that that should have been done it was an unrealistic expectation and hope and wish for Boris Johnson to do it particularly as you say with a trade deal pending however there would be other ways to address this development in this historical moment that we are living through um, and to, to to try and address that pain at home as well. Yeah, I, th- I, I agree with all that. I, I absolutely agree with all that. I tell you what, Ben, I think I think we've covered off uh, most of the news. Um, let's, mm-hmm. just, let's just lighten things up a bit before we get Jerry on the phone. <laughs> um, I, 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 me and Steve often talk about what we've been up to during the week, especially in lockdown, because obviously a lot of us aren't able to, you know, myself, you and Steve have frequented many pubs um, often together. Um, so yeah. we, aren't, you know, we aren't able to do that, sadly, at the moment. So what what you been, what you been watching on uh, what, what Netflix, Sky? What you, what you got <laughs> and what you've been watching? Let's try and see if the listeners um, can... There are certain things that maybe they haven't seen that they could uh, while away this, what's going to be a wet weekend ahead of us. Well, I, I did recently finish watching the third season of Ozark, which I'm not sure if you've, you've ah, seen. Ah, now then, but... I watched the first sort of five or six episodes, and I think something else just came in and knocked it off its perch. Um, yeah. But it is interesting. It looks beautiful, doesn't it? It's very well oh, shot. It's, it's incredible. It's a, I mean, it is, if you if you saw and watched Breaking Bad and enjoyed that, it's a, it's a fairly similar premise. But it's set in the Ozarks uh, in the Deep South, and it is 
it's incredible. It is a very dark watching experience, but it is very, it's, it, and it is a slow burn. I will, I will preface with that. Yeah, but there, there are fantastic. elements of humour in there as well, though. In the, basically, yes. it, 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 um, I'm not spoiling anything here. A, a family um, who, uh, I th- I, you know, I think unbeknownst to the majority of the family, of be the father has been involved in um, in in money laundering, hasn't he? For mm. I think some time. Um, he sort of has to go off and and launder a load of money, um, or indeed perhaps lose his life. Is the is the is the premise? So they they move the up sticks and and go out to this you know absolutely beautiful part of um, of America and and try and start again while committing um, some very serious crimes. But uh, yeah, I, I I would think that's a good one to watch. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think what I've been watching. Do you know what I, I? I'm sort of out of series now. I think I, I think I might have completed Netflix. Um, <laughs> there's been some good stuff. Uh, I watched. A, there's some good stuff on um, on Sky Arts, which is a favourite of mine. I watched a brilliant mm. documentary about um, Marcel Duchamp, uh, who's famous for the Armut uh, Urinal, of course, the father of conceptual art. Perhaps that was good. Um, I'm also I'm a bit of a um, Family Guy sado. Like if there's nothing else on, I will watch Family Guy absolutely yeah. um, until the end. Uh, and I've I've finished Kirby Enthusiasm now. Did you watch Curb? Uh, no, I didn't. No. Oh, you've got to see Kirby Enthusiasm, Ben. That's absolutely superb. Steve usually see, comes I... up with some some really outlandish band that no one's ever heard from 1979. <laughs> who who sort of bash on. Um, sort of play a play a synth yeah. in the background and bash on tables and spoons and pans and stuff. He's <laughs> he's a big fan of throbbing gristle, which actually I was listening to just before I came in. But um, it's not your average listening. This is the point when Steve shows off at how um, how alternative he is. Um, <laughs> but you've come up with the Ozark, which is uh, yeah. which is a bit more mainstream. So thanks for that. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, my um, my my go to with the your my equivalent of your Family Guy is I, I watch Parks and Rec, which is on Amazon Prime, I think, at the moment, which is a bit of a, a bit more of a bonkers comedy, but it's all about small local government. And isn't and, the guy uh, in the Ozark in Parks and Recreations? Uh, um, no, it's <laughs> the answer to that no, clearly. I, I always go no, mixed up with something else. I, I think I know who you're getting muddled up, but no, Jason Bateman isn't in. I don't think he's in Parks and Rec, but it is. And having worked in state government in America, I mean, it is it is it is very entertaining. And if you've got sort of somewhat sort of a curiosity in small town American life, it is very good. But uh, yeah, that's my sort of. What about of course, at this time next week? We'll all be very excited, or will we? I'm not sure for the return of the Premier League. Oh yes, yeah. Well, I, I I'm very excited as a Norwich City season ticket holder since I was five years old. I am yeah very much up for some football going on. Even though Norwich City are facing uh, isn't being dumped out of the Premier League. Well, well, we were only discussing the other day. Wouldn't it just be beautiful if the season was suspended? And not only did your adopted local club Norwich get to stay up, but Leeds would get to stay in the Championship. Would that not be a beautiful way for the season to resolve well, itself? As a as a uh, as a Huddersfield Town fan, um, absolutely, I would go with that. But I don't want to upset any Leeds fans out there. So you know, I'm, gl- <laughs> I'm glad that the season. Um, actually, I'm not bothered. But I'm glad that the season's hopefully going to finish. I'm not. I do have. I, you know, I do have views about is it safe for the players and all that kind of thing, and is yeah. it really worth doing without a crowd being there? I do. I do get yeah. all that. But I'm telling you now, I ain't leaving my sofa a week on Saturday. I'm going to watch all. I think it's five Indeed. games on that day. I am not moving. 
Um, yeah. Anyway, listen, Ben, an absolute pleasure. We will certainly have you on again. Um, we oh. really appreciate you standing in for Steve. Um, you may you may have got yourself the the number two gig, my friend. Excellent. Uh, well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure here as well. Super. All right. Thanks very much. We'll be back after this with Jerry Scott, the legend that is Jerry Scott. She's back. From true crime to football, Brexit to folklore. For more great podcasts from Archant, head to audioboom.com slash channel slash Archant. Welcome back, and I am very excited, and I certainly know all the listeners will be, to hear those very special Great Yarmouth tones of Jerry Scott. Jerry, are you there? I'm here, hello! It's oh, there was to be a, back! There was a slight pause then, and I thought we'd lost you. I thought it was all a dream. <laughs> I've gone again, heartbreak, Go again. again. <laughs> a double <laughs> kicking the balls. Trauma, um, isn't it, coming back to you? So how, how, when was it, how long is it since you, you left us? <laughs> I don't know what you, you're telling me you're not counting the days on your calendar, how rude. <laughs> um, September, it was September, so what are we now, June? I think on nine months, can you believe that? So, you know, it seems longer than that, and of course I remember that fin- <laughs> the final podcast very well because we presented you with a gift of a little bit of bread and no cheese, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I was confused <laughs> at best. I'm not confused, maybe the word is disappointed. <laughs> we did get other you did get other gifts as well i did i did get other gifts but yes it's been nine months which is nine um months. which is mad really and so much has happened yeah well goodness me we couldn't have possibly predicted what what would what would happen in those intervening nine months could we? but just bring the bring the listeners up to speed um about where you are now and what you're up to and um give give your current employers a nice plug for us yes so i am now working for the yorkshire post um, as their Westminster correspondent, which means I'm based in London, in Parliament, and uh, yeah, doing doing stuff for them, um, which has been really good fun. It's really, really good, and um, the paper's brilliant. So it's yeah, all, all really good fun. Fantastic, and you, and you also do. You, you obviously learnt your podcasting skills solely from me, but you have you have a podcast as well. How can people listen to that? I do. It's called Pod Zone Country. Very funny. Very I know. I'll take absolutely no credit for it. And there's also <laughs> been um, a bit of disagreement about whether it should have been Pod Zone Country or Pod Zone County, of course. Ah, well, um, I mean, this is a com- this is a conversation that is often had, and I'm, I am a native Yorkshireman, so I mean, it, Yorkshire is always referred to as God's own country in Yorkshire. So I think you've got it spot uh-huh. on. Yeah, spot on. Well, my, as, as you well know, my dad is from Halifax, so I also consulted with him over this, and he also backed me up. But yes, and you can find it well, everywhere. You can find the European podcast as well, to be honest. iTunes. Excellent. So, podcast, so, once, all that kind of stuff. so once you've finished listening to this podcast, do check out... Um, Podzone Country, which is, uh, well, it, tons of guests. You do very well for guests. Yeah, I mean, we've had, so it, we're fortnightly, um, because it's just little old me doing it, and so it's, uh, it can get a bit busy. But so most recent episode, we've had a nurse in Sheffield on speaking about uh, working on the coronavirus front line and how difficult that's been for him. Um, who else have we had on Recently, we've had uh, Baroness Anne McIntosh, who spoke about virtual House of Lords, um, and there might be a certain um, leader of the opposition coming up in a few weeks' time if you subscribe now. Excellent news! That is good news. So, um, so let's let's 
sort of play catch up, I guess, because we can get your yeah. views right from the beginning of this. And let's so we we um, uh, we let let's rewind, I guess, to the start of um, of the the emergence of this of this virus. What did you think uh-huh. to the initial response of government back in? sort of February, March time when it was sort of looming on the horizon? Yeah, so it seems like such a long time ago now, doesn't it? And I was in a lock-in when the government first launched its plans, when they kind of gave us all the plans, so don't put on them for a bit. And then we had a chat with um, Chris Whitty, who I'm a massive fan of, by the way. I have a Chris Whitty Appreciation Society mug on my desk Is it a crush? Is it? Have you got a Whitty crush? Look, he, I just think he's a lovely, lovely man. And I was very sad when everyone on the internet was saying that he was like ugly and saying nasty things oh, about oh, him. Oh. And it was just really horrible. Who said that? He seems like he's a nice man doing his best. Nasty people on Twitter, you know what it's like. Awful. Um, and I just thought that was really, really horrible. But anyway, um, and so I think at the beginning, the um, response. It seemed robust to me. It seemed like they had a bit of a handle on it. But since then, it's all gone a bit downhill. And it's been more and more things emerge. You know, we've had a report in the last couple of days that a few days before lockdown, the PM and um, his fiance, um, Carrie, held a baby shower for her at Checkers and things mm. like that. As we get further into this, it sounds like things haven't actually been as well has handled as well as um as it perhaps seems at first is kind of starting to unravel yes i agree i think uh, i think that's something that we can i mean we even here in the european podcast we were well i certainly was steve less so but not um not completely opposed we we were pretty supportive of certainly of the uh, financial intervention and yeah, the, i think the fact that you know i was speaking to a lot of people in those those few weeks of utter confusion well we when we sort of knew lockdown was coming even though number 10 were very keen not to use the word lockdown back then weren't they but we knew yep. something yeah. was on on the horizon and i think yeah. a lot of businesses and a lot, just a lot of individuals were very very worried about schools closing about whether they would lose their jobs how they were going to pay their bills <laughs> i think as soon as um as rishi sunak um made that that huge pledge for furloughing and people got their head around it i think people sort of started to not relax obviously but felt a bit more um sure-footed that it, this wasn't going to be a complete disaster for them personally obviously they still had the concerns of their own and their loved one's health but um since then it seems that like you say there has been just a steady decline um i mean if we look back now and hindsight's a wonderful thing of course and i'm not going to utterly beat the government um around the head for things we know now that we didn't then but you do wonder i mean much of january was taken up by flag waving and saying you know we've got brexit done and all that kind of thing and also a, a sort of a triumphant new cabinet and all that kind of thing there was a lot of um backslapping going on still because of the election victory and you do wonder really if that was the time when we needed to be absolutely on it and then of course we had the Liverpool Madrid game and we had Cheltenham and all these kind of things and looking back now it does seem that the response was a little bit slow and perhaps lockdown um, came a week or two too late I mean would you agree with that? Yeah and I think the problem is is that we thought we we could see it coming right so you could see it in Italy and Spain and other places the impact it was having and we were 
lucky is not the word. We weren't lucky, but we were potentially forewarned. So, what forewarned for around, isn't it? And there are things I think that could have happened quicker that might have prevented a lot of deaths. And I think one of the big things that will come out of this that will be a massive scandal is what's happened in care homes. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I used to speak about it when I was um, back with you guys, but part of my job was health reporting and social care comes into that. And having that inside knowledge of how social care works, you can absolutely see how the disjointed nature of it has led to this massive scandal in care homes where people were being sent back in when they hadn't been tested for coronavirus and infecting the whole place. You, you know how much of the sector is supported by agency staff that travel to, from care home to care home and you can see how they would just be absolute super spreaders of this disease. It's, I think that's going to be one of the really big scandals that comes out in the inevitable public inquiry that we'll end up having into this. Yes, and I, I mean, on that point of a public inquiry, I mean, my view is that the government should do it as, as soon as possible. Um, uh, I, I think governments always want to kick stuff into the long grass, but this is going to have to happen. I mean, it, I, I, if I was... If I was uh, in Boris Johnson's inner circle, would be saying let's let's bite the bullet on this and get it started, you know, by sort of January next year. But I do fear that they'll want to kick it as far down the road as possible. Mm, I don't understand it. There are some senior figures already kind of agitating for it and drawing up timelines of when things happen and things like that. But of course, when it does come around, the government will want it to be much more of a lessons learned exercise, right, than a than a kind of blame apportioning yeah, one yeah. Um, and I guess I guess I understand that but um, I do think you shouldn't shy away from blame where there is blame also of so course, it, of it, course. It, it, it will be interesting in who chairs it yeah, absolutely. And I think I, I'm sure you'll agree with this. I've said this from the beginning. I don't think any government in history would have got this absolutely spot on. There's too, no, of there's course too not. Many, no, it's unprecedented, isn't it? Yeah, there's, too, and there's just too many moving parts and too many things yeah. that were out of the control of any human being. Um, mm-hmm. So, they, you know, I think, I think you know, I was happy to give the government some leeway on mistakes. But I think where my confidence started to fall um, was because we had that period when Boris Johnson was ill and there was a lot of goodwill and good feeling and quite rightly and we were you know we obviously on even on this podcast wished him very well no big fans of Boris Johnson but wished him wished him very well and thank goodness he he pulled through but I think after that it it, when he was back it just seemed to start to fall away and I think the, the next big moment for me was when Boris Johnson seemed to almost be bounced into addressing the nation on that that Sunday evening, and when we we had the first relaxing of lockdown, and but didn't really say anything that you know there was there was the the nationals and a few others were briefed on the Thursday before, and that briefing didn't seem to be correct by the Sunday, and then everyone seemed very confused. And what what's your view on how the government has addressed the people and the the sort of comms behind it? I don't want you falling out with anyone behind the scenes here, Jerry, but um, <laughs> tread carefully. But I, I think at times there's been there's been some confusion. This is a very tricky and complex thing to um, to put across. But the initial um, comms seemed quite obvious: stay at home, don't go out unless you really have to, and you know stop the pressure on the NHS. And then it sort of faded away. And I think the comms has got more confusing. Is that something you would agree with? Yeah, I think the first thing to probably say is. I do recognise that as we move out of a complete lockdown, 
it is going to be more confusing because the rules aren't just as straightforward as you should stay at home. You should only go out for one bit of exercise a day. It's going to be more confusing. There is going to be more leeway. Um, I think things like the daily televised briefings have been a success on the most part if you're talking about communicating to the public in terms of, I guess, from a journalism point of view, they haven't always been great in the, um, you know, you can't be there in person. We're kind of on Zoom to do it. It's up to the individual minister that's taking it, whether you get a follow-up question. Um, it's up to Downing Street to kind of mute you and unmute you. And to be fair to them, they're very good at that, the kind of techie behind-the-scenes people. But if the minister doesn't want to give you a second question, then you don't get it. Um, and I do think that as time has gone on, the daily briefings have potentially morphed a bit from providing essential updates and things like that into more the government kind of saying how well they're doing, you know. Um, yeah. And I mean, it, it, I, go on. I, 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 there was lots of, and there always is on Twitter and, and social media, lots of conspiracy theories about governments choosing and approving questions and things and that that certainly yeah which, which isn't the case no, no and, which isn't the case at all. and i think to begin with it was kind of controlled by uh pippa Crayer, wasn't it as the uh, gallery chairman i think i think well i i know actually because i had number 10 on the phone yesterday it is now sort of more controlled by number 10 but i don't think that has been perhaps to the it, that isn't as sort of um dark as it sounds there's not dark forces i think it was just an organizational thing i, I think the that way you know, it's a mix. So the the, the, the papers themselves and broadcasts, etc., choose who is going to be on. Um, but so, for example, what we we're speaking on what day is it today? Thursday. Today is a regional press day, and Downing Street decided that it would be a regional press day. So yeah, yeah. you know, it's a it's a bit of a it's a bit of a compromise. Yeah, I, and but 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 the questions aren't uh, screened or anything like that, no. are they? It's not. Um, no. So I mean, we have said this before on the pub. But I think it's worth saying again that there isn't some grand conspiracy there. Um, I, I think that I actually think, and this might be unpopular, but I actually think the briefing started to go downhill when they started to introduce the public into the questions, um, mm-hmm. and that's not because I don't see the value of doing that. It just seemed to be. Um, a way to for the government to say, oh, we're listening to the public, aren't we brilliant? And we'll do their questions first. And I think by the time, often I think a lot of people, when the questions start at this stage now, are sort of, we've heard the briefing, we'll turn over. Um, and yeah. I think it sort of knocked the, knocked the media sort of down a little bit. And actually, of course, the media are trained to do this. This is what we do for a living. We're trained to to ask hopefully more forensic uh, questions. And so I don't really think that that has worked in order to get any, divulge any more information sort of to cut through. No, and one of, one of, one of my key frustrations in this, and I'm not just going to, you know, sit here and um, defend journalists because it's not what people want to hear, but there's a really key point to remember that those briefings are not the only time that journalists ask questions to the government during the day. And, I think there's been a bit of a misconception when people have kind of not liked the questions they're asked and that kind of thing. When they say, well, what a, what a waste of a question or I could do it better. That's not the only time that 
journalists speak to the government or spokespeople or get answers from the government every day. That's not the one shot at it. No. So no. it's, you know, it's, but the cons, you know, to go back to the initial question, I think has been a bit all over the place, especially as we move into this next section. And especially with, if we're, and I wondered how long it'd be before I said his name, but with the Dominic's coming to fair, because, <laughs> Well, that was my ne- that's my that was my next big moment, really. I think if we, I think yeah. we sort of look at this. I think there's been three really big key moments. The first one was on March the twenty third when Boris said, um, "You know, that's it, everyone, More stay time. at home." And then I think yeah. the second, well, you know, maybe maybe four if we see when when Boris Johnson got ill, and then and then the second one when I think the confusion started and the goodwill started to ebb away, and it was already on the slide, and then of course. The, the the fourth one was that chaotic weekend, the bank holiday weekend a few weeks ago, when when we learn what what Dominic Cummings had been up to. Um, yeah, I mean, and and what we've learned since then was that the Guardian, of course, who who broke this story, had had um, a sniff of this story for some time, and Number Ten had it sounds like tried to sort of brush it off and and for six weeks, for six weeks, they've been asking about it. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it was. It, I mean, incredible story. But then we had all of us. It just seemed very chaotic behind the scenes. Then we had suddenly on the Sunday, we had Boris Johnson's going to do the briefing, and he sort of addressed it, but not very well. In my, that's my opinion. Um, and I think that was his one and only chance, really, to to let Dominic go. As soon as he hadn't done it, then he couldn't possibly do it at all, unless. Dominic fell on his sword. We then, 24 hours later, of course, had Dominic in the Rose Garden. What an incredible scene that was. Was, was. I mean, what did you think of... I mean, we can talk about the... I mean, there is very funny elements to this, of course. And in fact, I was just walking through the city centre here um, and there's a there's a closed shop um, that has got a, uh, a, a sort of cartoon about how to test your eyes with a drawing of a, <laughs> of a car. And you know, People have seen the humour in this. But I think it's humour with a spike, you know, and I do think it will hang around and continue to to kick uh, Boris Johnson up the backside, really, this one. Do you, well, firstly, do you think that Boris Johnson should have sacked Dominic Cummings? I think... I, I It's it's hard, because, yes, I do think he should have done. In light of people like, you know, Professor Ferguson from Imperial College and the Scottish Chief... Um, medical officer yeah. and things like that I think that he should have done I and this probably is going to be an unpopular opinion with European listeners I think his explanation whilst it was clear it potentially didn't fit with the guidelines I think you can you can understand his explanation right of what, the, um, the bit about being concerned going about his to, family yeah, and going yeah, up to Durham in yeah, the first place. Yeah, yeah, you can yeah. you can argue that, that was a poor decision that he made and that you wouldn't have done the same thing and I think that in itself was bad enough. I think it all broke down with that trip to um, to Barnacle the castle, Castle, to yeah. castle. because no one is believing that. Surely, no one is believing that you would, you know, load up your wife and your four-year-old in your car to go on a hours-round trip on your wife's birthday to test your eyesight. <laughs> I mean, as far I mean, uh, trust me. I have given some poor excuses for bad behaviour in the past. Yeah. Um, but testing my eyesight while driving a car 
He's got to be one of the best excuses I ever, well, the worst, but the funniest excuses I've ever heard. And I wonder yeah. if it was sort of made up on the spot. He can't have been, but what nonsense. And then Michael yeah. Gove the next day trying to defend it and say, well, I've done it. No, you haven't. That is utter. It's no, just a lie. No. And if you have, you no, no, no. after after him. Although Michael yeah, Gove I mean, does need a booster seat when he's driving a car, obviously. <laughs> um, but it, I mean, it was just, and I think that was when, 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 um, You'll remember that we used to say that people felt pity towards Theresa May um, yeah. when she was so fraught in the midst of this, um, you know, minority government trying to get Brexit through. And the last thing you want the the public to feel for a leader is pity. The other thing you don't want them to do is to start laughing at um, yeah. laughing at an administration, and and the public is laughing. At, at Boris Johnson for standing by Dominic Cummings, especially when... And yes, I, I actually wrote a piece, I have to say, I'd had a couple of gins by this point because I wasn't really expecting Dominic Cummings to, to speak. And um, and I did think, well, that is the first time actually I've seen Dominic Cummings sort of be a human being. But, um, yeah. but when he sort of described his child and, and whatnot, and, and it, I almost thought he was going to get away with it and then he starts banging on about testing his eyesight and you think, what on earth? That is just, a, I mean, you know, it's just not true. It can't possibly be true. He's a very intelligent, um, you know, like him or loathe him, he's a very intelligent man. And I just don't think that that would be a decision he would wake up and go, do you know what, my eyes feel funny, let's go for a drive with our, yeah. with our toddler in the back to see if I can see or not. I mean... And the other thing that I think for me showed that they that the family potentially knew that they'd done something wrong was that article that his wife Mary Wakefield wrote for the spectator on their experience of the both of them having coronavirus symptoms, we should say, because they were never actually tested either, so we don't know if they actually had no. the virus itself. Um which didn't mention going to Durham at all. Well yes and quite quite so 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 why why write it? It feels a bit kind of overcorrecting, doesn't it, I Felt, um, but the, the reaction of Tory MPs was fascinating. To be honest, um, a lot of them in my patch and um, just just weren't picking up their phones. That's not because they don't like me, I promise. Um, <laughs> you know, MPs who would usually pick up their phones and have a chat, even off the record for a bit of bit of context, just would not speak. They just did not want to speak. And the ones that did pick up their phones were very insistent to begin with that this was a media media bubble story it was being whipped up into nothing and interestingly some of those and I won't name names but some of those that said that to me on I think it was the Saturday on the Sunday came out calling for him to resign yeah I think I mean I I had exactly the same thing uh, here you know we had um probably I think sort of three or four who called called for him to to go and not you not your obvious awkward squad um, no no and uh, and and that was all of them said having taken into account the views of my constituents and I think that is where the issue is your average um your average uh Tory voter was not happy with this. It was not a good. Yeah, look. because everyone wants to like see it. their mums, right, and their grandparents, and everyone wants to see their grandkids and hugs. But this is—it's something that cuts across any kind of like political swing. Yeah, we've all missed our families, and we all want to see our families. Yeah, so that we, it was very 
Well, it was a, it was, it was very sharp for people, wasn't it? Yeah, and I think, and, I, and it hasn't gone away. I, I mean, I was no. just talking to 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 Ben, we, um, Ben Kraski, you're aware, who, who, you, uh, who you who you know was on yeah, uh, was on before you, and um, we were saying, do we think that Keir Starmer actually? should have really gone for it, even though it was a week out at PMQs this week. I'm interested in what your thoughts are on that one. Well, actually, I spoke to um, Kishama tail end of last week when he was doing a um, Zoom kind of meeting for uh, people in Yorkshire. And I I asked him that, actually, I said, have you been too quiet on it? Um, And he did say that, you know, he doesn't feel like he was too quiet. He said, you know, he came out and said that if it was him, he was Prime Minister, he would have sacked him but I also did suggest to him is it a case of you didn't need to say anything because there are enough Tory MPs putting the knife in that actually you might as well just let them get on with it there's no need to muddy muddy your hands and you know you know what politicians are like he clearly didn't agree with that outright but his answer was well there were a lot of Tory MPs calling for him to resign which is you know as as close as an agreement to that as you're going to yeah, as you're going to get. Yeah, so. I, I just wonder. And I, you, you're very well aware of my admiration for um, for Sakia, but he, he, I just wondered after that whether he is clearly a very, very good lawyer. And there's lots of lawyers in Parliament. The place is um, is swarming with them. He's obviously a very <laughs> forensic. Um, questioner and and oh, uh, <laughs> I know we were just talking about how it's been overused, but but it's you know, but Boris Johnson is clearly wobbling a little bit when he's faced with Keir Starmer. But I just wonder now, in the last sort of twenty four hours, thirty six hours since PMQs, I'm just starting to wonder whether he's got that real politician's killer instinct because I, I'm pretty sure that Tony Blair w- wouldn't have w- would have brought up. Dominic Cummings and and it seemed to be playing into Keir Starmer's hands when he set him up with the public confidence stuff. It just seemed to be, here we go, this is a knockout blow, and then and then it didn't quite come out. So I, I'm sure I'm wrong, but just starting to what just little doubt in my mind that maybe he, he he can you know can he actually finish the prime minister off? Yeah, no, I completely know what you mean. And as, as a little plug, if uh, anyone looks at the Yorkshire Post website on Saturday, you'll see exactly what kids um, I think is um, everyone saying has a forensic mind. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, I completely agree about PMQ. He didn't mention him by name. Um, I think maybe the implication was there, but is that enough for people who are outside of the bubble? You know, not, not to suggest that people don't know what's going on, no. but, you know, when you live and breathe this stuff, you pick up on maybe what an implication or a slight hint is more than people that have normal, more fulfilling and um, not so exhausting jobs. <laughs> um, so did it? Did that cut through? I, I don't know that it did, but there are plenty of other MPs in the Commons every day at the moment bringing it up. I don't yeah. think we've had a day yeah. where it hasn't been. So a, a government minister of some sort hasn't been challenged over it, but of course they maintain that everyone needs to move on yeah yeah so the mps are back when 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 are you going to be back in the palace i'm giving it a couple of weeks to see how this new system works um i'll be honest it's not top of my list to get back there's a lot of things that you miss not being there though you know i'm not uh collaring mps in the corridors or singing having coffees or getting any gossip but the problem i think at the moment is um 
people aren't going to be wanting to do that anyway. Even if you're there, who's going to be wanting to be sitting across the table with a, someone from another household at the moment? Yeah, not many. Right. So we'll see. We'll see. How, we'll see how it goes. Um, you know, Alex Sharma's potentially got coronavirus as we record. Yeah, we're just um, waiting for a test, aren't we? And that, and I mean that. I mean the implications of that. We won't go into it too much because probably by the time people listen to it, we'll, we'll know one way. The, the implications yeah. of that could be that that Boris Johnson has to self-isolate again because obviously he was with him beforehand um yeah. I, I i don't I, I get mixed up with the rules but i get even if boris has had the disease would he have to self-isolate i'm not sure yeah so even yeah. if even if you've had it you would have to um self-isolate i mean the problem with this new system right is that people like so huddersfield mp barry sherman for example oh, i was speaking to him a, this morning yeah i love Bazza. He, <laughs> He's got the longest continuous record of being in the Commons. He's not quite um, part of the House, but he's uh, he's been there a long time, and he is shielding because of his age. Yeah. So he's at home, yeah. and I spoke to him earlier, and he's he, apart from the anger of not being able to participate in debates, he's a very active parliamentarian, Barry is as well. If you ever watch Parliament, there's hardly a debate goes by when Barry isn't there. Um, it's quite. I think I think they're finding it quite difficult in that, you know, this is their life. If you're an MP, your life is your job. You're never switched off. You're answering calls from the likes of me and you at all hours of the day, bothering you about all sorts of things. And, you know, you're always working. So to have that stripped away, people, people have been saying that MPs have been disenfranchised, but really it's their constituents because whilst they can proxy vote, it's not, it's not, the same is it and yeah, i and think the, the system argument, was working very well yes absolutely and and you know the the back and forth about the proxy voting has been a bit of a, a bit of a shambles as well hasn't it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely so it's it, it seems like a waste to me to put all that time effort and no doubt money into setting up a system which worked just to track it so quickly and i honestly and this is a genuine thing that i don't know why because there's been a lot of people saying, oh, it's so Boris can have people behind him at PMQs to jeer. And so that, but you can only have 50 people in the chamber at one time. So it doesn't seem to be that. It, I, I can't work out what the actual reasoning behind wanting MPs to be back no, in I don't, the chamber. I, I agree. You know, I'm not entirely <laughs> sure of the thinking behind it, really. And, and I don't really buy the explanation that we've got from... Um, from Jacob Rees-Mogg, but um... no, me neither. Me neither. And actually, the public don't either. There's a YouGov poll out today saying that they don't really believe that MPs need to be back either. No. So, so we'll we'll see how it goes. But I'll I'll go back once it once it feels like it's safe to get on the tube again. To be yeah. honest, that's the bit I'm more worried about getting on the tube. Yeah, yeah, fair point. Okay, well, listen, Jerry, an absolute pleasure to have you back. Will you co- will you come back and say hello again more regularly? Yeah, if you ask me nicely. If I ask nicely. <laughs> well, I can't guarantee that. What the listener, do, what the listener doesn't realise that off air I am macho and unapproachable. Isn't that right, Jerry? That's exactly <laughs> how I would describe you. Yeah, that's exactly how I would describe you. <laughs> I might sound nice, but as soon as these headphones are off, I'm kicking tables over and <laughs> shouting and bawling. 
Uh, so, that's yeah. exactly what he's like. So, he's, um, he's a bully, so, if anything. Oh, that's unfair. <laughs> but true. Um, so, listen. Thank, thanks so much. Uh, thanks so much for um, for coming on. It's an absolute pleasure to speak to you um, again and and reminisce as we did off air about some of our funny times. We were talking about the dreadful train episode that we did um, a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> Which, oh, I think uh, it was one of our best. Well, it was no, a lot no, of fun. No, no, it was a lot of fun. You know, we had the conductor on the podcast, didn't we? we but did. Unfortunately, only three people listened to it, and I don't think anyone listened to it all the way through. Um, so anyway, Jerry, give us a quick last plug. Um, what's your podcast called? It's called Pods Own Country. It's on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, all those kind of things. Um, it's fortnightly, and we get some really good guests. And don't think that just because you don't live in Yorkshire, it won't be relevant. It is. We are not a paper that only writes about Yorkshire we um take all the national issues as well which is why I'm in London um so yeah have a listen and the new newest episode will be out next Friday but there's one from last week which is still very interesting now excellent um and uh so once you listen to that podcast do that and uh, Jerry what's your twitter handle it's at Jerry underscore E underscore L underscore Scott. Jerry, like the Spice Girl, as we're but anywhere. Not, but not the Spice Girl. People still retweet. I'm not Jerry that, Hallow, no. But people still retweet the, the tweet from a guest we had on who suggested that he'd been, he think he thought he'd been chatting to Jerry Helliwell, bless him. Um, and it still, it still pops up every now and then. That, In fact, Sinead O'Connor, did you see this? Sinead O'Connor replied to that tweet. <laughs> Oh, no. No, I didn't see it because I wasn't tagged in it. Oh, of course not. Of course not. Jerry Helliwell must be like, I don't even remember going on a new European podcast. Um, Okay, listen, thanks very much, Jerry. An absolute pleasure. Um, Guys, if you could go on and review this podcast before you review Jerry's and tell us how brilliant we are, um, that makes a big difference. Um, Log on to the New European website and read all the stories there. If you haven't already please do go out and buy a copy of the printed product, which you can you see you can now go out more than once a day, so you can pop into the supermarket or the newsagent and, and buy a copy. Wonderful front again this week. Lots of news, lots of Brexit, lots of coronavirus, a lot of Trump as well this week, but also tons of arts and culture as well. I will return next week, unfortunately without Jerry, but Steve will be back, so um, there'll be probably more rambling next week. But you will, of course, uh, have to just put up with that. Until then, Mr Campbell, please play your bagpipes. Here you go. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.